Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with us this week, we have Ben Headley. Hello. Hi there. Hi. Welcome. Ben and I had a little meet-up earlier this week, and I had a little nip round in some of his new products. But can you tell the audience a little bit about sort of who you are, what you do? Yeah, so uh, I'm the founder and CEO of The Little Car Company, and we're probably best known for the Bugatti Baby and the Aston Martin uh, DB5 Junior. And uh, yeah, we've we've got a few other things in the pipeline which you test out test out this week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came down. Um, I didn't really know much about the company before visiting. I'd come across one of your cars. So for the audience that have not seen them, they're seventy five. They're mostly seventy five percent scale cars, but electric. Yeah. So they the Bugatti Baby Two is seventy five percent. DB5 Junior is uh, 66% because it's just a bigger car. And then the uh, project we're going to talk about as well is 75% too. We're aiming to be be around the 75% mark uh, in the future, just just to squeeze people in. Yeah. Uh, How did you pick 75% or that sort of, or 60, whatever? How did you decide that? Well, it's sort of it's sort of uh, caught us a bit by surprise. We we started off, um, so we we won the uh, the project with Bugatti uh, at the back end of 2018, I think it was, and we sort of launched 2019 at the GMO show. And um, back in the 1920s, Atari Bugatti made a half scale uh, Bugatti Type 35 for his uh, youngest son Roland. And Bugatti phoned me up and said, look, uh, can you help out? We're, we're a bit busy doing the voiture noir for the, uh, the motor show, but we'd love to do something as a bit of a present to ourselves for our 110th birthday. Um, and also, if you put a car through the Bugatti uh, factory, unfortunately, their, their 
price printer doesn't has too many digits on it so it'll cost like <laughs> half a million quid yeah um so yeah so we we said yep we'd love to and originally they wanted to just do a follow-up and the original bugatti baby was was only 50 percent scale um and it was it was too small for eight-year-olds um and they actually made it slightly longer during the production run so we we agreed the contract with bugatti and they said yeah yeah we don't want it to be too expensive so it's got to start at price x and we were like okay yeah i think it was thirty thousand euros which is a lot of money, let's face it. You can buy a lot of car for that. But this yeah. is a this is a Bugatti. And and then we signed the contract. And then we suddenly we sort of got to the stage where we thought, ah, wouldn't it be great if like adults could drive it as well? And so we went to 75% after doing some like mock-ups and, and bucks and yeah. things. Uh, but we'd already signed the contract saying so it had to start at uh, <laughs> a certain price, but you're building basically twice the car. And so we end up that size. We I think the record is we've got a guy in our team, he's about six foot four and probably 18 stone. We had to use a lot of margarine, but we got him in the car eventually. <laughs> right, before, okay, we need to dial back a bit before you suddenly have a Bugatti contract for making small Bugattis. How did you get into all of this? Were you a car guy working in the car biz? Uh, I sort of come in by accident. When I was growing up, I used to, my folks used to, uh, I used to finish school on for my folks. I had to go and sit in their waiting room. And they had, uh, the only magazines they had there were uh, Country Life, uh, Private Eye, and Autocar. Now, I didn't understand Private Eye, and uh, Country Life was too boring. So I ended up just from the age of six reading Autocar. And I, was, I just became a petrol head. I loved them. I was about 18. I got my first car and figured out I couldn't afford to insure anything interesting, except it was a classic car. So I okay. bought this old Snotter MGB. Um, which hadn't driven for seven years. And uh, yeah, that was my daily driver for however long. Um, studied engineering, did manufacturing engineering, but I uh, got tempted into the city to do a city job instead of uh, being a proper engineer. And somehow just sort of uh, long circle, come back to it. I did found a company uh, about a decade ago, which imported sort of um, a 50% model, scale model cars from the Far East. Yeah. But it and it, it, it was it was a good business. The cars looked fantastic, but it wasn't really kind of going anywhere. And I've made the decision to shut it down and just move on to another project. Mm. And then we got the we got the email from Bugatti and said, uh, "By the way, guys, could you just help out with this?" We said, you, you, "You do know technically we haven't actually built a car before ourselves." And they were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it'll be okay." Um, <laughs> so it was this like crazy experience where we were recruiting engineers and running around like headless chickens to get a a model made for the Janine Motor Show in 21 days. Um, we had this 3D printed model to show what the size would be like. Had it, it was on the VIP area on the Bugatti stand, and I was I was there. <laughs> things went a bit wrong, and I was there, I think it was at 3 o'clock in the morning, putting together this plastic model with breakable bits <laughs> with a pen knife uh, four hours before uh, Stefan Winkleman was going to turn up and sign off the thing. So it was all a bit panicked, but, uh, yeah, it was the start of everything. We've must... still got it in our boardroom. That must have been... Quite something. Getting getting a phone call from you know Mr. Winkleman saying, "Hey, can you build a small Bugatti?" And you're like, "Well, maybe, but I've not, uh, 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 yes, yes, of course we can." And then what do you do when you put the phone down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was we'd we'd thought about it before. We'd we'd actually spoken to uh, uh, Jaguar a few years before, and they'd say, "Yeah, we'd love to," but. It's uh, development costs, you know, a big car is like a billion pounds development. Uh, a little car is still a million pounds of development. And if, if, if you don't know, if no one's done it before, there's no precedent. And so we were, we were always too cautious and we, we, didn't think it, we thought it would be too risky. But 
But when Bugatti said, look, we want this to be the official follow-up to the original Bugatti baby, which I have to admit I didn't know much about. Went Googling, I was like, oh, my God, you know, these are, these are worth like $100,000 at <laughs> auction. Um, and there were only 500. So uh, yeah. I thought, you know, there may, there's a business case here and we can actually do something properly. Well, having a little... Because the, th- the thing is, you've picked... When I first... I had a go at this uh, sort of industry test day. There was all sorts of cars. And then there was a couple of your cars there. And had a go, squeezed in. Found out later that the steering wheel just pops off, like it's on a quick release. Um, and then, yeah, had a little hoon around essentially a car park. And was like, yeah, this is cool. Nice thing. Looks, looks nice and all that. And then, yeah, so, you know, ask how much it is. And then go, hmm, seems the same as a car and um and then so i didn't really think about much about it and then you got in touch with me and said hey do you want to come and have a look around i, th- I don't know how that happened I, maybe did you see a picture of me driving it or something yeah no i got heard by the guys on stand and they said uh yeah do you know sam's popped down and come and had a, had a try you should you should give him a bell show him the other stuff <laughs> you got in the in the back pocket yeah so popped up to your spot at bista heritage which is a a nice looking well it's a factory now isn't it and we did a little little wander around, and then you started showing me the various details of one of the cars outside. And instantly, like straight away, I realised, okay, no, there's a lot, there's a lot more going on here than it's just a miniature electric car. Like <laughs> the, I mean, you you know what way better than me all of the little design details. But walking around the the baby Bugatti, for example. That I was like, what's that? This sort of metally shaped thing. And then you sort of pressed it and out popped a speed. Was it the speed key? It's the speed key from the Bugatti Chiron. Just, uh, <laughs> they were like, uh, we, we wanted to have some sort of details from the modern cars as well as the classics. And because we have different driving modes, uh, we thought, yeah, let's have a speed key. Why not? And we said to Bugatti, do you mind if we put a speed key on there? No, don't worry, it'd be great. So we've, we've implemented the speed key and it's literally the same Chiron. key isn't it it's the same <laughs> key you get in a Chiron except in your little electric um, what, what other things you've got loads of touches on it that are from the bigger cars don't you yeah we, we it was funny because we, we let's be honest the, the Bugatti what we didn't want to do is just do a, a like a badge engineering exercise and slap a slap a Bugatti badge on a little toy and you know just veer off to the Maldives with a suitcase of money Although actually sometimes with the, like the long days, <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad idea, is it? But no, we want to do it properly. We, we knew there was something we could do here. We thought there was an untapped niche of these kind of beautiful classic cars from the past that are too expensive to drive. They're not accessible, you know, um, and, and get them into the, the hands of, of uh, new, a new generation of car enthusiasts. Um, we also kind of wanted to prove that electric cars can be fun. And I think everyone who's driven the, the Baby 2 says that you know, if this had a you know, petrol motor putting away, it would just be much, much worse. Whereas it's got this kind of instant rapid torque and probably too much power. But, you know. Um, Debatable. And, yeah, well, is there such a thing? <laughs> uh, and then we've got this, um, yeah, we've got this thing about we'd, we'd love, uh, you know, grandparents and parents and kids to yeah, just be able to jump in and drive together. And the, yeah, the, the the baby twos, you can just about squeeze an adult and a kid on your lap, whereas the the DB5 and our other models all got two seats and loads of space. And we thought that'd be cool. Like, I would have loved to have learned to drive in a DB5. That would have been yeah. the way to do it. <laughs> but sadly, it wasn't about when I was a kid. 
Yeah, that that distinction of being able to fit adults in is massive because we all look now that we're bigger at small stuff and go, well, I mean, I'd quite like to have a go on that, whether it's like a miniature motorbike or someone's built a very tiny thing and only kids can drive it. And you're like, yeah, but I want to have a go, even if I might squash it, like being able to get in it. And these are about the right size. Like you said, that pretty much everyone can get in them unless you're excessively large and drive it around. And it feels incredibly novel and pretty hilarious. And then, so I drove a couple of different cars and they all, they all have a similar-ish powertrain, don't they? But in different forms. Yeah, we, we, the nice thing, they're all electronic powertrains. You know, we use lithium-ion batteries, uh, you know, solid rear axle on the car so far, although we're looking at um, IRS suspension. But it's, yeah, the, the, uh, the powertrains are similar. We can change the characteristics to suit the cars themselves. Um, for example, we, you know, we, for the, uh, for the uh, speed key mode in Bugatti Baby, we used to have it. So it just went from zero to hundred percent torque, uh, in the first inches of travel. And it was just shaking the axle free because you were putting like a uh, hundred foot pounds of torque through this poor axle <laughs> yeah. and they were giving up the ghost. So we, we, we play around with it and we try and make each of the driving modes. They all have about three or four, uh, for like complete novice, which is, you know, 1.4 horsepower and, and 12 miles an hour up to, you know, speaky mode on the Bugatti is, uh, it's about 15 and a bit horsepower and it's top speed. Well, we've had one go over 50 miles an hour, um, which is yeah quite rapid when you're that close to the ground. Um, <laughs> and we've got others which will go even faster, but it all depends on experience and, uh, yeah, what kind of conditions you're in. Yeah. And I like how the different models, you've got different ways of changing the power and whatnot but if you're like here's a kid have a go you can set it and they can't change it they can't you once you've set the power level and you take out however each one works differently don't they but they can't your kid can't suddenly reach under the dash and go click 60 miles an hour off down the road (laughs) into a hedge yeah yeah we we (laughs) we we learned this from experience that we um you can usually put in the key and then set it to the mode and then remove it and each of the cars has like a remote kill switch so you can then sort of disable the car from about 50 meters away um we had to change the mode of that this is i'm not sure this has been told outside the company but uh we had to change the mode because what we we found was that during testing the cars we we designed them and we market them to 14 and above uh that's you know that's that's actually down to eu legislation on toys and all that kind of small print yeah. stuff but we do know that owners are going to let younger kids drive them and actually we we do do driving events for younger kids and their parents as well but they we we found when we were testing with i think uh, i think she was about nine uh, she was the daughter of our engineering director and um she she drove off and she got out of range of this little key fob and then just went uh sort of slightly bonkers and hit something rather expensive yeah uh, <laughs> so we <laughs> we we had to we changed it so now that it's got like a pinging uh, uh sort of pings and if you go outside the ping range it'll the car will just die ah okay um, that makes and it's that sense. kind of learning as you go because no one really thought about it up front we probably should have done but uh, uh but yeah the, the the engineering we we just wanted to do a proper job so we rather than start with the original and just replicate it we went back to the type 35 which was the which was the inspiration for the first baby uh we scanned an entire car all the components on it and just shrunk it down 25 percent. so we then you know we we don't use the obviously the straight eight engine because that's where your legs have to go. 
Um, but loads of the stuff is the same. So the suspension geometry is identical to the original Type 35. It handles like a Type 35, I'm told. Uh, Andy Wallace is our test driver, and he drives both, <laughs> both of them. Uh, and, yeah, and, it, and it's identical. And it, but the problem is, you know, if you're making hand-built cars in the UK, it's still, they've still got four wheels. You know, they've, they've still got one steering wheel, Nardi steering wheel. It doesn't matter if your steering wheel is 75% or 100%. It kind of costs the same. Mm. Um, you've still got all the electronics. You've still got, you know, all the components. You've got the milled aluminum dashboard. If 25% bigger, it probably costs 10% more. So it's really, it's been really hard uh, to actually make it to an affordable price. I'd love to be able to sell them for, you know, you know, 2,000 pounds, everybody you know, yeah. has one everywhere. But it Would totally buy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, it's just doing, we want to do a proper job. You've got yeah. to do the best proper job. And Bugatti gave us quite a bit of free reign. And when we took the car to them and said, right, guys, this is what we've done, they were just blown away. They were like, we, we weren't expecting this. You know, we, we were kind of, we thought you'd just like make a little toy and then a little you toy go. Thing, and, yeah. But we, you said, you, you brought us a little car. You know, you might have, you might have slightly gone overkill here. <laughs> and how's it gone to how's that car gone down with owners buyers how did, really how good. did it get sold really good we 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 had i think it was after Geneva motor show because it was a really new thing people hadn't kind of heard of it before we had um we had names kids every single one of the cars by within five or six weeks i think because we're only oh, making wow. 500 uh, and that's it lot. yeah so uh, yeah that was pretty good and then covid hits and you know some people sort of said, look, really sorry, but, you know, things have changed and I can't really take the risk at the moment. We said, yeah, no worries. Um, here's your deposit back and um, off we go. So we're in production now. We, we've got the, like, the first 40 or so out to customers, which I'm very proud of, actually, because uh, it's starting a brand new car company from scratch and actually delivering cars is uh, it's hard than it sounds. There's a, there's a yeah. lot to it. And, yeah, everyone has great ideas about actually getting a, a to a point where your first car's out the door is a big, scary experience. And there's a lot of stuff you just don't even think of up front. I, I was just going to say, like, even even down to sort of delivery, it's not like you drive it down the road. <laughs> no. Uh, we, t- we do have a few customers who are going to try and make theirs road legal, though. Um, nice. Which will be quite fun. And we, we have, uh, we're looking at it basically. I've got to be careful what I say. I always have to remember this. <laughs> <laughs> we, we consider, we basically, we, for, we do all kinds of crazy t- safety testing uh, and things like electromagnetic tests. You know, we go into Millbrook and we did the handling tests, so elk tests, we do braking tests. We, like, the car is massively overbraked. It stopped in, I think, 54% of the distance it needed to, to be a road, oh, yeah. a road car needs. And it, like, properly stops. Just, like, stops. Boom. Yeah, it's it's um, the the DB5 is even faster stopping because then we've stuffed we've put a load of Brembos on that. But uh, the the Baby Two is great, and the first car actually we want to be really authentic, authentic, and we had um, cable operated brakes. Okay, and I was adamant to the team though. I was like, we have to be authentic. It's got to be cable like the original. Got to be cable. And they were like, it's a terrible idea. You're being an idiot. I was like, no, no they've got to be cables. Went out, drove the first prototype. I was like, they've got to be hydraulic. They've got to be hydraulic. <laughs> it's a death trap. And then we've gone too far the other way because it stops really quickly. But um, yeah, we do, do all these crazy tests. And then 
we're now looking to put it through uh, what's called an L6C quadricycle test uh, as a full full vehicle sort of sign-off safety package for Bugatti. And in theory, if you pass that, you can stick a load of number plates on it. We won't do that because of kind of uh, Bugatti's fastest not to. Yeah, they, it, you, it's a different game. But if, if clients want to, then we will watch with interest. Yeah, I... I can't really imagine driving one too far on the road. They're quite small. Like, actually, how different in size are they to a caterer? Good question. Not a huge amount. Um, I think the because the Type Thirty Five wasn't a very big car in the first place, but it's no. only slightly bigger than a caterer. So we we have a caterer uh, at the at the uh, the office and it's yeah they're very very close i think the car you drove was very limited on top speed and performance so i think i think for the vista site we um it was capped at about 20 miles an hour whereas when you yeah. get 45 miles an hour on the track it's slightly different yes i i you could feel that it had a decent amount of power but very much of a limiter like it was like and then just stopped when you get to whatever it was 50 miles an hour but that that is actually one of the things about where you are on that Bista heritage site you can drive these things around people can go we took the two for a little blat and you don't have to go on a road to experience what they're like i could totally see like what do you envision people doing with these things they're generally just like something nice to have kids can play with that sort of thing yeah, it's it's a bit of um, uh, we some people we know are just collecting them, so they'll go into collection, they'll be polished. We've we've mm. we've done some amazing paint jobs to like match. We've matched a um, Chiron three hundred plus car, which is like black with orange stripes, and they yeah. they wanted to be got. And it's brilliant. Nice. Um, we've got some. We got guys who own the sort of classics, um, classic original type thirty fives, and they've kind of wanted to get the paint jobs the same. Some people put them into collections. Um, some people obviously have the space to use them. But we kind of we figured out early that actually we need to make do events to give people the chance to actually drive these things. So we did our first little car club driving license day at the weekend. Um, we got Andy Wallace in as our chief instructor. And we had uh, parent and kids and uh, you know, the kids get to learn to drive in a Bugatti or an Aston Martin or future models and um the kids get to black around the track uh, the dads get to mums get to dra- black around the track as well with helmets on and everything yeah we do a bit of engineering stuff get the kids engaged in that they get to design a car and it was great fun and we we want to do these kind of events where um we can you know people can you know do a bit of bonding over the cars themselves and have some opportunity to use them um we, we're going to uh prescott hill climb on sunday um where this is kind of, I can't wait. I can't believe I get to do this for my job. <laughs> Andy Wallace and I are going to have a crack at the Prescott Hill climb in the Bugatti Babies, see how close we can get to a Type 35 time. Um, nice. Andy will be obviously about three minutes ahead of me, but it'll be quite, <laughs> it will be quite interesting because they go off the line with the full power and with the, we've got these like um, stability uh, wings that plug in on the side because we don't want to put a roll cage on it because it comes too he- mm. top heavy. But there is this thing where, you know, it's a, it's a 1920s design and we've got, you know, t- 2020 tyre technology. So we were finding we were pulling 1.2 lateral Gs in testing. <laughs> and we're like, this is ridiculous. Um, so we, uh, so what we did is we, rather than sort of design some horrible big roll cage around it, we've got these um, stability wings which you can plug in and then you can sort of, you know, use them to their full potential on a track without having to worry about, you know, rolling them over or something like that. 
it sounds like that would be a wicked event. Are you going to fully uncork them? Yeah, we, we're, we're taking up the spec, of the, the top spec at the moment, which is like, it's, it doesn't sound like much. It's only about 15 horsepower, but they weigh less than, less than 250 kilos. Um, and so they, you know, they do go off the line um, and they hit the speed limiter really quickly. And it'll just be interesting because we can use more of the track. A, we're going to have better rubber than the Type 35s. And also we can use more of the track. Um, so, yeah, we, we're not obviously on a beast Type 35, but it'll be interesting to see if we can get within like you know, 20%, 25%. That'd be quite fun. That would be, that'd be very fun. I think you should aim to beat it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need, we're going to need a lot more horsepower, but you know, we've got some ideas we could do that. Yeah, you might need some more, some more go juice. But no, that, that sounds like... Sounds like a lot of fun. Did you have to, with them pulling 1.2G, sh- surely initial testing, that could get a bit sketchy. Have you had them up on two wheels before? Yeah, we, we test all the vehicles. We test um, for sort of stability and safety and braking and everything like that. We, you know, there's, there's no technical legislation for us to comply to. So we just like, well, let's aim for what, what a car would need to pass. And that exceeds anything they would ever be used for. Um, so we do, we, you know, we, we have, we had, I'm saying his name like third, third time now and old Andy, <laughs> uh, I, to be honest, don't tell anyone, I started the car coming just so I get to hang out with Andy Wallace. Cause he's awesome. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> he's a cool dude. Uh, but no, we, we, we had Andy in and we had uh, some other professional drivers in to sort of make sure the cars were safe. We adjusted, you know, uh, things like tow in, tow out. Camber was kind of set by the design of the original type 35. We were doing tire pressures. And we had to make sure that they were as safe as possible. Um, you can, you know, have an accident in any car if you try hard enough. Um, but we we did our very best to make sure that they, you know, the the speed without the stability wings, the top speed is limited, so that you mm. can't get yourself into trouble. Um, and we used tire warmers to get the tires up to temperature. And yeah, we, there was a huge amount of testing that we hadn't really, I don't know, we hadn't thought we knew we'd have to do it, but we didn't know the amount of detail that we would end up going into. Yeah, um, to make them a hundred percent safe. Or as safe as we possibly can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that, I mean, that would be the worst thing. <laughs> Someone rolling yeah. one over. Um, but yeah. they, they don't have seatbelts, do they? So they're like old school. You're going to yeah. go flying rather than... <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we had like an independent safety review done on them. Um, and they, they said, they came up with the conclusion, actually, yeah, we could have put seatbelts on, but they'd have to be lap belts. And that actually you're safer... If without them and, and the, the only comparable vehicles, it's got the performance of a go kart essentially, mm. and you don't wear a safety belt on a seatbelt uh, seat on a go kart for good reasons. So yeah, that, they came to the conclusion it was better to actually, you know, be in it and be able to exit it if required um, than be tied down. So yeah. the the Tamiya project's going to have uh, full uh, harnesses, but the, it, for the Bugatti, it's more appropriate that you you don't have them like the original. Yeah, and you've. Um... And you, you've spent a lot of time trying to get to make them sort of fun at low speed rather than just, you know, a super grippy track weapon. I know getting tyres has been quite difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're trying to find appropriate tyres because it's, it's easier to, to make manufacture a wheel than it is to manufacture a tyre. Um, so we, we sort of designed the wheels to match the originals, but then for a certain tyre size. Um, and the original tyres we were having were collapsing under that kind of any Gs over about one G lateral. They were just collapsing and causing horrible handling. So um, we managed to get hold of uh, some Avon tyres, which are usually on sidecars, um, mm. that are designed to skid and slip, and they're, they're much, much nicer. 
um, except they'd gone out of production. So there were something like 22 left in the country, in the world, that on shelves. Yeah. So we bought all those. We're like, well, this isn't going to work for 500 cars. So we um, kindly asked Avon, and they were great, and they've supported us. They put them back into production for us. And, yeah, we've, we've now got a tire supply. But during COVID, you know, everything like that went wrong. So, mm. you know, we we were trying to launch the car, get into production eight months before, but you know our molds were being for the for the wheels. Or although the wheels are made in the UK, the, the molds are made in China, and they just got stuck for yeah. sort of eleven months, and there's nothing we could do. So uh, yeah, it's been challenging. Have you been hit by a lot of other COVID-related issues, or has it been okay-ish? Yeah, no, we, 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 we planned to have the car in production for sort of uh, April, June, that kind of period last year. And yeah, everything that could have gone wrong just went wrong. Um, we, you know, we, we had this big problem, the wheels, component shortages, you get lockdowns, you know, one, you have, as I always say, that the, the, there's like 700 components in the baby, in the baby two. If you've got 699, you still can't believe build a complete car. And yeah. it just takes one supplier to have a COVID outbreak or shut down production or whatever else. Or just the, the sort of Brexit and COVID also cause these big steel and aluminium shortages. So mm. you just, people just can't get the raw materials to make the cars. So it's been, it's, it's like a game of whack-a-mole where you have different problem comes up. You're like, oh, solve that one. Oh, no. And there's a problem with this. And, and then, oh, you can't ship that. And it's, it's been insane. But um, the guys... I'm proud the whole team have done a brilliant job of just solving the problems and getting us into production. Mm. How have you managed to work with multiple manufacturers? Has that been, obviously that was a bit of a plan, but I presume they don't necessarily want to be associated with each other. Uh, Yeah, it's funny actually. We're trying to think who else works with all the people we do and we think it's like maybe Bosch. We do yeah. all the electronics and you know, maybe Michelin tires, but they don't really brand for them. And I think because we try to just raise the bar complete with Bugatti, they were all open to, they were like, okay, we like the sound of this. This is quite cool. Um, it's an opportunity to engage, you know, the next generation of fans of the marks. Mm. And yeah, because, because we sort of went really hard. They, um, yeah, they've all been, pretty keen everybody we've spoken to has been like yeah we'd like to try that we want to see what you can do um you know the the uh, the aston was our was our second project and um again it's it's 18 months to get a car from you know to, big manufacturers five years for us it's about 18 months to go from a you know here's an idea to a sort of delivered car um but aston we took them we very covertly took them a bugatti they had a test drive around at gaden they're like yep yeah, love this bring it on <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, it's been nice. And everybody who, when you say to people, it's a 75% car, they go, it's a toy. Well, like, no, it's not a toy. It's not a toy. You got to, you got to see it and then you got to drive it. Yeah. And when, when people see it, they kind of get it with the detail and like the solid silver macaron from the Chiron and the kind of the repurposing gauges and the, and the detail and all the bits to it. They're like, ah, yeah, I understand it. And then they get in and drive it and they're like, oh yeah, this is fun. This is, I want to, yeah, can I do another lap? Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's great. And we, we had this thing called the First Mile Smile, um, inspired by uh, Carol Shelby's uh, $50 trick, where he used to leave $50 on the, yeah. on the dash. So what we do is we, we, anybody who can take a car and do a mile and come back without a smile on their face, we give them a bottle of champagne. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that's unlikely. Unlikely to happen. It's pretty, pretty hilarious. I think within the first, the first time you put your foot down and just go off down the road, you're laughing already. You're like, oh yeah, this is, this is a pretty, pretty fun thing to be doing. How is the, how have you integrated things like charging and batteries and stuff like that? Is it the same charge port as a big car or is it, how does that work? They're all slightly different. Um, for the Tamiya, we're looking to see if we can actually get uh, get it hooked up to a standard car charger. But we run um, 48 volt systems, uh, so the, the the car has to have a 12 volt bit to run all the gauges and stuff yeah. like that, um, and fire the contactor, which then brings in the brings in the big battery, which is the 48 volt. Um, most cars run higher because it's uh, easier and you get more power out with less heat. We've done it that way because 48 volts is still considered uh, sort of low voltage. So I wouldn't recommend it, but in theory, you can sort of hold both terminals and you're, yeah. kind of, you're not going to frazzle yourself. Whereas if you did that on an 800-volt Porsche battery, you'd be, a, you'd be toast. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we use slightly lower voltages for safety. Um, we, we have our own sort of proprietary charger. We have one of our sort of um, things we do is we always make sure that the power, uh, power port is where the old fuel cap would be. Yeah. So on the Bugatti, it's underneath a billet cap and... Uh, gas and it's at the back and uh, under a sort of pop release so that's yeah we that's our thing we, all our cars you can also remove the batteries so you can actually have some spare batteries and you know, pop them out charge them in your house charge them in your garage oh, okay s- slot in some more if you want that's yeah because that's always been definitely with the small electric stuff whether it's a remote control car or whatever it's you've charged it up you drive it for like five minutes it's dead that's it plug it in for another two hours Presumably, this you can just take a battery out, plonk another one in, and they're not very big, are they? They're like car battery type size. Yeah, they're about car batteries. The way uh, Bugatti Baby ones about, I think, eighteen kilos. The DB five ones are there. Two of them, they're about eleven kilos each, size of a suitcase, um, and they go a long time. You know, you, the hardest thing would be to tell an overexcited fourteen-year-old that they've got to wait five hours yeah. to, for the car to get charged up. So. We sent our uh, brave but slightly lunatic test pilot Andrew off for a uh, off to see what range we get out of the Bugatti. He comes back fifty-two kilometers later, and he's like, <laughs> "It's not, it's not flat yet." <laughs> so you can go a long way. You got regen braking, all that kind of good stuff to get you as far as you can, and then slot in another battery. Off you go again. Regen braking. I didn't know you had regen braking. Yeah, Plus. yeah, yeah. Regen braking and. Um, yeah, we we sort of different modes. It's different different levels, and we can do like an eco mode and yeah, all that stuff. It was one of the things we didn't get right to start with because batteries love putting out loads of power to a point, but actually they're not very good at accepting power. So we okay. were like frazzling these five grand batteries. Everyone was going, <laughs> "What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing?" Uh, and then we figured out that we were trying to stuff too much regen back in. I um, oh, see. So you we, can't. It can't basically can't take like full regen. Yeah, you'd assume that if it can put out, you know, mm. uh, 10 kilowatts, it should be able to take 10 kilowatts back in. But um, we found out it can't. And also, we, <laughs> we tried on the track a bit with quite high regions, and it was just you were getting massive liftoff uh, oversteer <laughs> every time you went around a corner and backed off a little bit. The tail end was coming around. You're like, oh, there he goes. Nice, nice. I like that. That should be a certain mode, enable <laughs> hooligan mode. <laughs> As the tech for this sort of stuff, presumably, could you have built these cars five years ago? Probably not. Probably not. I think battery techs moved on loads. Uh, what's really nice is that the 
I don't know, everyone says they make their own batteries, but most of them are made from the same Samsung or LG cells, and then you package them up to your requirements. And that yeah. technology is, A, they're getting cheaper, and, and B, they're becoming uh, moving on. Uh, there are some big leaps we had with solid state and stuff. But no, a lot of the, a lot of the technology, we, we decided early on that we we anything that moved, we wanted to sort of take the best of what was available off the shelf because mm. we could have spent two years designing a differential um, to only see cars go out to production and then fail in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, our first two cars went to um, Dubai in Australia. So much though, I'd love to uh, jump on a flight to either of those. <laughs> it's broken it down. <laughs> come fix it no thanks <laughs> yeah it's a bit yeah not a very good commercial move but um no that what's nice is that the we we use kind of well-proven kit and massively overspect so for example the uh, the rear axles are custom made for us with sort of high quality bearings but they're used on like uh utvs and atvs in the states mm. so they're used to being sort of driven around off roads by people with shotguns uh, and and then we've got like the, the the motor controller is kind of uh, well proven. It uses, we use our own code, but the the hardware just you don't get any failures because it's just been used and used and used. And it's in mm. God knows how many things over, uh, around the world. That's that's cool. Um, you mentioned Tamiya. Can you explain what this project is? Ah, oh, so yeah, so the Tamiya project is quite cool. We uh, the we. We, we looked at the cars and we, 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 we've got the DB5, which um, is super cool, really comfortable, lots of fun. But we, when you put sort of seven Smith's gauges in a 70, 66% DB5, uh, they're kind of almost full size and they cost the same as if you're putting seven, if you went to the shop and bought seven gauges yeah. for DB5. And you just, you can't engineer out the cost. It's got, wire, we've got wire wheels on the car. It's got, um, you know, it, bridge of weird leather in the car you just it costs the same whether you make a big car or a small car essentially yeah so we couldn't we were struggling to get the price down to we wanted to make it accessible to more people so we suddenly thought well rather than taking like a big car and make it smaller how about we take a small car like an rc car and make it bigger because then we got <laughs> like a bit more they're pretty simple we got a bit more to play with and we did some feasibility studies and i thought oh this could work so we we contacted tammy and said look guys we've got a brilliant idea <laughs> And uh, and then about three months later, we eventually persuaded him it was a brilliant idea rather than uh, something that we'd come up with after a couple of beers in the pub. And yeah, the whole idea is to use our powertrain that's kind of proven tested and make the Tamiya as a kind of uh, electric car, which you can build at home. So it'll come as a kit. Um, we're going to use some form of roll cage material to actually build the space frame chassis. Mm. you'll bolt it together you'll put all the components on as you would with a little one uh yeah. we even see if we can do those like the clear you know the clear plastic panels in spray the inside and we're going to have like a, a sticker sheet that's six foot tall that you then takes you about three goes to get it straight it looks terrible in the end but um and then yeah it's going to come as a kit and then it, we we figure we can engineer out enough cost that it's going to hopefully be about six grand um as a base price yeah um and then, like all the Tamiya's, you've got the hop-ups. So it's going to come with about 5.4 horsepower. Um, and then you can upgrade that to either, I think, 28 horsepower or 54 horsepower. We haven't figured out. depends on the transmission stuff we're running. Yeah. But you'll just be able to buy more batteries, more uh, more kind of components. Um, and the, the reason why it's coming with that 5.4 horsepower, it doesn't sound very much. Although, 
you know, in something that's only 250 kilos, it's enough to go, um, is that that would make it then applicable for L6E quadricycle legislation. So essentially, right. this is a car you'll be able to build a home, like a kind of very cut price caterer with an electric yeah. motor, with your kids, with your family, and then you'll be able to put it through an IVA, slap a number plate on it, and off you go to the office, uh, uh, you know, on a daily basis. And it's going to have a range, it'll have a range of 30 kilometers with the base battery, but you'll yeah. be able to stick it up to four. So you have 120 kilometers range potentially. And <laughs> yeah, it's, we were just like, why has no one ever come up with this, this thought of this idea before? Probably because it's, it's lunacy, but we figured out technically we can do it. So we're going to do it. And, uh, yeah, the car's going to be, you know, first we've, we've got, I've got, we've got loads of people put their name down. They're just brilliant. And we're going to be delivering the first cars next year, um, for it people just, to build. It just looks like the most hilarious thing. Everyone go and Google Tamiya little car company and you'll see a, see a picture. It's called, was it full size wild one? I think is the, yeah. the, the car. And yeah, the idea of being able to build something like this and then just zip around wherever. <laughs> yeah, you can just drive it off road if you want and you know mess around with it or you know slap some number plates on it. We just I think if you drove one through central London you'd get more looks than a Lamborghini or anything else. So uh, Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> no one would know what on earth you've done. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. We're really excited about it. It the the stuff we've got, we've already got uh, you know, a lot of the design done and it's just going to be really cool. I, it's, I just can't wait to start getting the prototypes running around. And we'll probably get some of the, the people who have signed up uh, for the early cars to come and help us test. And, and we want to make it a collaborative thing. So, for example, we're, we're asking people at the moment, and all the people on the database, like we could replicate the original suspension arrangement, which is like a trailing arm system. Mm. And it'll be really authentic and it would go with our kind of thing about the cars have to be the authenticity of the cars, except it'll handle terribly. It'll be <laughs> awful. You know, you'll be, it'll like understeer loads and everything else. Or yeah. we can, you know, put in, uh, we'll stick on double wishbones and, you know, and we can make it handle like a, like a demon. Where do you guys want to be? And we want to involve people in the whole design process. Say, look. Hold up. 
you know, we've, we use, we've got a partnership with Brembo. So you're going to get Brembo disc brakes on all four corners. Uh, we work with IBAC springs. We work with Bill Stein dampers. You know, it's massively overspecked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and our, oh yeah, that's our, our, uh, the lunatics in our R and D department. Um, they have already, this is a terrible idea, but we've got to give it a try anyway. They've already plumbed in a radio control to do the throttle. So <laughs> if we stuck a steering actuator on, we could actually turn them into, it could be a, an RC car that you've made full size and then you've stuck the RC controls back into it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. There has to be at some point in time two of these in a field or something. <laughs> a little track driven by someone with a, with a remote control. It would be carnage. It would be absolute carnage. You think of the damage you do with your RC cars when you've kind of you yes. built them and they're, they're about <laughs> about a foot long. You know, 250 kilos of 50 mile an hour, 60 mile an hour RC cars. Yeah, be... just straight through a wall. <laughs> I don't think our insurers would want that. No, that's, that's for the customers to do, not for you guys. Um, so when I was up there, you showed me you showed me another car actually from another mm. well known manufacturer which by the time this podcast comes out will be out in the world. Um, yeah. You're doing something with, with Ferrari. Yeah, so this feels a bit like therapy. So <laughs> <laughs> as, we have to be always very careful what we say. And, and um, uh, yeah, we, we, we uh, someone told me it, was, it must be like, you know, dating eight, eight women at once because you're kind of talking to everybody. You can't, you, you know, you've got to have these sort of, uh, breaks between the different projects because mm. you know each brand has its deserves its own privacy and everything like that. But we've yeah we we the the Bugatti was first, then we did the Aston Martin DB5, which is going to production at the end of the year. We announced the Tamiya, which is going to production next year. But we've actually we were already working as well on the Ferrari project, um, which we haven't been able to talk about, and it's awesome. And yeah, it was. Uh, I think. The, the the thing that I'm most excited is that the the the, the brands let us work and they let us interpret their sacred cows. You know, the Type 35 is the ultimate original Bugatti. You know, the DB5 is Aston Martin's pride and joy, mm. and Ferrari have let us do the 250 Testarossa, the pontoon fender car, which is just which is insane. You know, they've taken it's their one of their 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 most sacred bits of their heritage, and they've gone, okay, you guys can do your interpretation on this and we'll back you and we'll help you along all the way. Oh, it's, um, it's a, it's a very cool looking thing. I've had a, I've had a little go driving around. It's got a bit of camouflage on it. And like the other cars, you've taken inspiration from various modern bits and like, it's got the same pedals as a 488. It's got the Manatino switch. Which is actually the key, isn't it? As well. Yeah, that was yeah, that was one of those things we 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 try to really match the original. So it's got the same Nardi steering wheel as the original, and it's it's got one of the cool things that Ferrari let us do is we went into their museum and they let us scan the original paper drawings of the chassis. So we then our team then took that and they recreated it in three D, and we replicated exactly the original two fifty. Testarossa's chassis in in a seventy five percent scale, same steel size, same tubing, same everything, mm. and then we put the body on top. Um, so that was kind of authenticity. And then we thought, okay, well, what can we do to make it, you know, give a modern twist? 
And we always like to have a sort of uh, like a little signature piece, a bit of theatre. So, you know, the Bugatti is the, is the speaker from the Chiron. On the Aston Martin, it's a hidden missile switch, which gives you double the power when you yeah. flick it. Um, it's hidden away in a secret compartment. You know, on the Ferrari, we're going to, it's the Manatino. So we, we replicated the Manatino. Um, I can't remember. I think it might have been the A12. And it, it sort of doubles up so you can put it into a sort of low power mode for learner drivers and then remove it. Um, or you can stick it all the way to race. And, um, you yeah, we've got four modes. We've got, um, so I think uh, comf- uh, novice, comfort, uh, sports and, wet- and race. And sport's the most powerful one slightly oddly um because races are balanced performance so we're having a all the cars we're going to match them on performance so that they can go wheel to wheel and and, um you know race together on equal grounds how how on earth are you gonna how are you gonna map them you're gonna just do them on a on a last on a stopwatch yeah again yes yeah we get we very kindly we, we kind of work with the test drivers for all all of the brands. So um, Andy's helped us with the Bugatti and he's helped some other development stuff. We've got Darren Turner coming down to set up the DB5. Yeah. Because um, that's, there's some interesting engineering behind that one because essentially it's a touring car chassis underneath on Bilstein dampers <laughs> and Nybach springs and big Brembos. And so we want to make it properly fun to drive. Rafa de Simone, uh, we sent out two cars to Marinello and he took it out on Foriano. Uh, to do the the sort of um, setup there, mm. so we got his preferred damper settings and all that kind of stuff. So what we're trying to do is get maybe get them all, and we'll find a couple of reference tracks. And right, like, okay, guys, race your cars <laughs> yeah. as fast as you can, and then we'll just tweak things up and down, and you know, remove the power maybe or reduce the torque a little bit, or yeah. But it's going to be fun, fun trying. Yeah, the thing about the the Ferrari, which is quite different to the other ones, they all drive differently because of like. Yeah, they're all a bit different, but seating positions are very different in the different cars. And in the Ferrari, you actually feel like you're in a car, whereas a lot of the others, you're kind of like sticking out the top because you're sort of so big and then you're still driving it. Whereas the Ferrari, you're sat so low down and your legs go like right inside that you just feel like you're ripping this little car around. It's, um, yeah, I'd say that was the, they're all fun. But that one felt the most kind of like a sports car, like a little sports yeah. car. Um, yeah, that that's one of the things we, we don't want to do is we don't have anything that's fake. So the guys came up with this brilliant idea for the Ferrari. The, on the original 250, the exhaust pipes run under the car and they're sort of black exhaust under the car. Now, we don't have fake exhaust pipes. We don't have any fake noise and nothing like that. So we, we were going to remove them. But we realized that if you took them away, the car would look like it's on stilts. And look mm. terrible so so what they did is they put in a black section of body and then just dropped the seat right on the deck to get your cog nice and low and actually it means that you sit in the car rather than on it yeah and it feels yeah and we we for the ferrari we're designing a, a roll cage we're gonna put some harness points in as well for a race pack we've got a yeah that's the other thing we're gonna do we've got a we're gonna do a race pack it's got drilled disc uh, uh drilled discs uh harness roll cage and we've got a brake bias adjuster as well nice. just for a bit of fun um just because yeah, because we can so Why not? yeah um but no the ferrari project's been amazing we uh, it was insane that they kind of wanted to work with us because they're so protective of their brand more mm. probably more so than any anyone else and they were very supportive as well so we we 
they saw a they saw a, a Bugatti baby and they said said to us, look, we thought you'd bring us a toy and you brought us a little car. And then off the back of that, um, we we did built the two cars and we we worked in collaboration. So we you know it uses the same leather as you get on a full size Ferrari, same paint as you work on full size Ferrari. They gave us the pedals. You know, there's lots of stuff from the full size cars that's in there, and they helped us design all the bits. They gave us access to Classiche, all that kind of good stuff. We, when we sent the finished product out to them uh, to sort of test and. They, they came back and said, uh, yeah, we love it. It's great. Um, one thing, do you mind if we take your branding off it? Um, so, and we were like, no, no problem at all. That's the greatest compliment we could be pay- yeah. paid. So when it's announced on Tuesday, um, we won't be putting a press release out, only Ferrari. Um, we've done a video uh, with them, or they did a video of the car, and they managed to get hold of an original, and there's those photography at Classiche, and it, it's just been brilliant. They've been that's fully cool. behind the project and they're saying yeah it's this is a ferrari you know we originally thought it might be like a ferrari made by a little car company but no no this is a ferrari so, so yeah cool. it's crazy it's crazy that's that's very cool and then like all ferrari special projects is it, is it already sold out <laughs> um we yeah we're only making 299 of them and old enzo's strategy of you know making one less you can sell we do have ferrari wants to give uh, their owners and their VIPs access uh, ahead of time. So mm. there have been a couple of photos floating around the internet, things like that. Um, we've got names against all the cars. We will have to see, you know, we'll, you know, we don't know if people could be serious or not, yeah. but we're, yeah, we're, we're still taking names. And if somebody drops out, we'll drop someone in from the waiting list. Um, That's a lot of cars. They, across all of the models that you've done, that's actually quite a lot of cars in total. What's the? What's it going to be like? Twelve hundred or something? Yeah, it's um, to five hundred Bugattis. Uh, we're going to do up to to uh, one thousand and fifty-seven DB fives <laughs> over the course of production run, which is a lot of cars. Yeah. Just because it's the same number originally done. Yeah, a lot of that is so that if somebody has a DB five already, we will match their chassis number and their specification okay. of their car. So they've got a matching little one. Yeah. Um, and then there's 299 Ferraris. as will make as many as people want. You know, that's, um, that's just going to be kind of, yeah. we'll see, see how we get on. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard because you, we, you know, one thing you don't realize you have to become a registered motor manufacturer <laughs> to, uh, to kind of make cars. You have to have a, you have to apply for a special chassis yeah. plate code. So we have to stamp these chassis plates on that kind of stuff. And when you, you know, the other thing is like, I thought, oh yeah, we're, we're you know we're backed by some great investors, and uh, they kind of go, yeah, yeah, no, great. But when you want to go from like building five cars a week to ten cars a week, you're like, that's easy. We'll just get some more people and bring it in. But what ends up happening is that you have to, I have to go, I have to spend half my time running around looking for investment because you need another four million quid's worth of parts yeah. to sort of stuff in to make the cars with. So it's starting a car company. You can, I understand why so many people start them and they just kind of fizzle out after a period of time mm. um, it's not easy you just gotta have really good people around you really yeah and good products that people want so will you will then not be the smallest car manufacturer in the uk even though you make the smallest cars <laughs> yeah some of that, it's quite weird actually yeah we're not we're, we're the little car company but we're about to become we're getting bigger quite quickly so i don't know what yeah. about the name um <laughs> but it's fun it's really fun i mean fun. Uh, we we 
great team. You know, Vista Heritage is an amazing place to be based, and and yeah, we we love what we do. And the guys, the guys and girls, they're all so passionate about about the product, which is great. Yeah, no, I very much so. And like walking around, chatting to a few people, everyone's having a great time. They all seem to be enjoying what they're doing, and you know, putting their ideas here and there for working for various various things and whatnot. Um, and yeah, there's a real sort of like buzz around of like stupid ideas, which is quite fun <laughs> and actually being able to do them. Yeah, we've got, um, I should mention our test driver. He's going to love this, but he's, he's, his, we've got a very talented engineer. He's one of these people who he didn't go to, didn't do his A-levels, went straight off to be a motor mechanic. And he um, sort of turned up a few years ago uh, and said, can I have a job? We said, yeah, um, but he's a, a born genius engineer. He's brilliant. Um, but his current hobby is strapping little jet engines to his arms and legs like Richard Browning. And he, yeah. you know, he'll finish work and he'll just disparate into a field and try and blow himself up <laughs> with these jet engines. But it's, you've got to have those characters. You've got to have those yeah. creative types who, you know, will will sort of um, push and do things that people, you know, don't necessarily think of straight up or sane people at least. Yeah, or go. Someone goes, I would like to do that, but actually, that sounds like too much work. And they're like, Yeah, no, let's let's try it. Let's just keep smashing the head against a, in a wall until it until we get it to work. That's it. That's it. And it's you know, if you don't try something, you you, you know, you become you get very vanilla product. Um, hmm. As long as it's safe, that's our, our fundamentally. It has to be safe. As long as it's safe, yeah, we'll, we'll try anything really. Yeah. And then you find out certain bits are not safe and then you make it safe again. Yeah. <laughs> Just push, 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 push. Yeah. Well, I normally wrap these up with five questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? So I've, I, I knew these were coming, so I actually had a chance to sort of have a think about this. And I, I had one where I drove a rickshaw across India in monsoon season <laughs> with some friends. They're like a motor rickshaw. That was yeah. kind of cool, although horrifically dangerous. Um, I, did, I went off uh, around the Alps in a, with a Subaru Legacy GTB and a stuffed badger. And I ended up in and the British ski team. stuffed badger? Yeah, stuffed badger. <laughs> we ended up in the British ski team. That was a few years ago. We, we talked about that. Actually, it was quite funny. Um, but I think the, the, the craziest one I did was... Um, let's, uh, let's just pause, rewind a little bit. You drove around the Alps in a Subaru and ended up in the British ski team. How, how yeah. does that happen? Uh, that was... So I, I, I finished... Yeah, I, I kind of finished a project I was working on and I had a bit of time off and I thought, ah, I want to go and try those kind of all the dangerous sports in the Alps, like speed riding, you know, where you ski off cliffs with a parachute over your head. Oh, right, yeah, yeah bobsleigh and you know the crest to run and all that kind of fun stuff and uh, so i bought some old skis on ebay and i wanted to see you know how fast you could ski you had so, skied before this yeah I, I taught myself to ski i had a week ski lesson as a kid and i taught myself to ski working in a kitchen in the alps uh, in my in a gap year and uh, yes yeah, so i went out and um, basically turned up to a world cup race uh sort of by accident with these pair of skis i bought on ebay and uh, they said well the training day was yesterday so you're too late um, but if you, you know, if you feel, if, if you want, if you can ski, okay, we'll, um, get you a fist license overnight and, uh, you can have a crack tomorrow. And I remembered I've never been so scared in my life. So we're standing at this, it was in Verbio, it was this Kubar called Montfort, standing at the top, just staring at a 50 degree slope, um, in a 
wearing a cat suit for the first time. And um, I turned to the guy behind me, he was, he was the champion at the time, he was a British guy, and I said, uh, Mark, you know, what, what do I do? And he says, um, we've to do the smallest tuck you can, and uh, if you get to the bottom, I'll tell you what you did wrong. I was like, <laughs> that's not helpful. And, uh, and yeah, maybe like I'd skied at 50 or 60 miles an hour before. But um, yeah, first run, I turned, and then rather than feeling petrified, I suddenly I was in the zone, I was like, this is amazing. I did, I think first run was like 91 miles an hour. And then Oof. I got to the bottom. I was like, oh, I want to go back up. Let me up, let me up. And, uh, and yeah, and ended up in the team by accident at the age of 30 and stayed in the team. And, you know, I think I got to, I was ranked about eighth in the world, something like that. And um, stayed in the team until the day before my 40th birthday when I had a crash at the World Championships at 150 miles an hour and broke my neck. Oh, oh. Which... Which was a bit ouchy that one. Uh, on the on the upside, I did get a really cool video message from Eddie the Eagle the next day, which was <laughs> happy birthday. So I mean, swings and roundabouts. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the event called? Speed skiing. Speed skiing. Yeah. So it's rubber suits and Darth Vader helmets, basically, and, and like two and a half meters long skis. And just tucking up and going as fast as you can. Yeah, it's people like talk about it as the drag racing of skiing. Um, okay, yeah. but I, I hadn't been drag racing, but there was so much more to it. Cause you like the, you have these massive aerodynamic forces on you. Um, you, if you've ever put your hand out of a car window at like 70 miles an hour, it goes up in squared. So at, you know, 110 miles an hour, you know, a tiny movement will flick you five foot to the left, five foot to the right. And, um, and then you try to control the, the pressure through your legs because, you know, hitting a, a, a four mil bump at 110 miles an hour, it's basically almost enough to send you airborne. So you, you kind of, you're balancing all these big forces while trying to go in a straight line, pick the fastest line and, uh, you know, try not to soil yourself at the same time. <laughs> I think I've been about 60 or 70 on skis. The idea of going over a hundred, like I watch stuff like, I literally watch stuff like you going down a hill in a straight line. And I'm just like, Oh, oh God, oh. at some point in time, someone's going to catch an edge or and that's it game, game over it's oh, it's nuts and the worst bit you come back from a race uh and you sort of get in the car and i i've got this old um i always had this old i had the most practical car for ski racing which is this old uh, porsche 964 which i still got rusting <laughs> away somewhere and i i had to i had a sunroof because it meant i could stick the skis in the sunroof oh, as i came nice. back from heathrow and it's two meter two and a half meter long skis poking out the roof and you get in the car and you like go down the M4 into London and your perception of speed is so skewed that you'd, you know, I'd be well into three figures going, thinking I was doing 60 miles an hour yeah. <laughs> and I have to sit there and just calm myself down. You've got to lose your license. Stop, 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 stop. Um, it was just nuts. It was, a, it was an amazing experience. Amazing experience. But um, I managed to get out alive. That was the, that was the, the, the best bit. I, I mean, yeah. Wow. Something pretty cool. Pretty cool thing to do. Did you have to have... When you say you broke your neck, like how bad were you after that? Uh, it, it was an undisplaced fracture, and I can't even remember. It's uh, L6, L7, something like that at the back. Um, and they sort of, uh, yeah, they scraped me off the slope. I, I was knocked out cold. My helmet came off, which is probably where the most of it came. Uh, they scraped me off the slope, stuck me in a helicopter, uh, which was 
gussing actually because it was a really nice view and <laughs> my better half at the time was having to show me photos of the beautiful oh, swedish landscape you're like let me just sit we up for over. a second <laughs> yeah no no and they put me in a scanner and they they sort of at the hospital and they said uh, yeah cervical fracture i was like oh no and i was like desperately wiggling my toes he's like don't worry you're okay you're okay you'll be fine but they yeah they let me out the next day i, I managed to get back for the prize giving ceremony uh with my sort of the guys i was racing against against and me made it to my birthday party that evening although i had like one beer on uh, morphine painkillers and i could i was just dribbling couldn't speak <laughs> couldn't make any sense but uh no well good times good times well it's good you've uh, got through it five car garage unlimited oh, value five car garage okay so i had to think about this um the obvious, I need something with a tow, car, a tow bar. So either an RS6 or a, like a, a Taycan Cross Turismo. Something yeah. that's a sensible car, long distance tow bar. I love faster states. I've always had a fast state. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Second one, rough yellow bird. Ooh. I've always just loved yeah. the excess of a rough yellow bird. You know, it's something which can bite. You know, it was the fastest car in the world by a country mile when it came out. Um, I love singers. I love that stuff. But actually... A rough is old school, and uh, I've had some of the rough suspension put on my old 964. And uh, yeah, I can imagine that it's not good for the teeth, put it that way. It uh, <laughs> goes around corners, lovely, but it's not a comfortable ride. Um, I think a third one you'd have is something excessive, again, well, another excessive one. Like um, McLaren F1 is the obvious one, because yeah. it is what it is. I love top trumps, you know as a kid and that's important but actually having got into the bugattis i think like an actual bugatti type 35 were pretty pretty cool uh and obviously the first thing when i started working with bugatti i was trying to blag was a test drive in a chiron um (laughs) and uh i still haven't managed to blag it but one of my investors very kindly brought his nice and we went for a quick spin he tossed me the keys and said right let's go for a drive and i I was like, uh, we didn't discuss insurance. It was in Germany and we didn't discuss insurance or anything else. And he's just sat next to me. He's a lovely guy. He's just going faster, faster, faster. <laughs> and I was like, this enormously wide, wide thing. We found one straight bit of road. And I remember putting my foot down. I'm used to fairly fast cars. I put my foot down. It was just like uh, an explosion behind me. And that thing just threw itself at the horizon. It was, oh, it was incredible. So probably a T35 or a Chiron would be mm. three. Um, I think number four, some kind of Caterham race car. I'm doing the Caterham Academy at the moment and it's just brilliant fun, loving it. Um, I think you, I'd like either a Caterham race car or something maybe older, skinnier tyres, something that moves around a little yeah. bit. Definitely. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like an original Ferrari 250 because if you stuff it, it's an expensive accident. It's still pretty expensive in and Caterham. It yeah. And it will hurt. Um, and yes, you can repair it, but actually... I prefer to have a, a bit of a snotter that I don't mind going to the limit with it. And, you know, if I do damage, I do damage rather than, you know, killing a classic Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you want to be able to go in the gravel and be like, oh, okay, got yeah. scratched, cool, onwards. Like, dig yeah. it out, off we go. Yeah. I Just that we've had some guys in the academy this year who have, you know, they've got four, four uh, five-figure bills from stuffing it and that's painful enough yeah and you don't and i just you don't want to have that in the back of your mind when you're racing you want to be kind of flat out and just 
you know, making sensible and uh, but managing your risk and yeah. not constantly worried that you're about to put one of the 26 250 <laughs> TRJs into, into a wall somewhere and then have, you know, hate mail from the Ferrari Owners Club for the rest of your life. Mm, um, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah, no. it's a... Uh, I, I agree. Uh, so with the Caterham Academy, how far along are you in this? Because the season they do, you do like a bunch of sort of timed things and then you have a couple of sprint races, don't you? Yeah, it's, um, I think the first one this year was a sprint race at Kerbera and that was back in maybe April time, which is lucky I'd only finished building the car a couple of days before. So it was a bit tight. And then we've done, uh, Mallory Park, we did a double header at Knock Hill, uh, where I made a terrible mistake going out for a few drinks between them and uh, trying to race with a hangover. Just... That was overnight, not in between. <laughs> yeah, no, I wasn't, I wasn't sort of nipping into the bar. But, uh, but yeah, that was Knock Hill. And then uh, we just did Silverson GP a couple of weeks ago. And that was amazing. Just, you know, some of the straights feel quite long with only 120 horsepower. But, um, yeah. yeah, the experience is brilliant. We're doing Brands Hatch on beginning of august so that's the next one uh, the indie circuit that's fun and, and then croft and then sneston to end the season double header so it's brilliant i can't you know not sponsored by catron this is not a sponsored post but it's just it's brilliant i can't recommend it enough amazing fun amazing uh, fun. it sounds like a it, it's got it's a great recipe for fun yeah doing catron academy and the cars move around a lot you don't have aero so you're not like you're ha- going sideways is part is at least remotely quick in those cars and going sideways is fun <laughs> so. yeah that's it it's brilliant and it all the corners you know silverson every single straight you draft 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 and then everyone fan out and you go into the corners <laughs> eight cars wide yeah. <laughs> it was pretty just brilliant fun no wicked if you can only drive one car for the rest of your life and, um, wait, 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 and you're allowed a 500 pound car on the side Ooh, good question. Um, I think like the obvious answer is like a GT3 Touring, uh, but yeah. I'm going to go completely on the end of the scale. And I would like Duncan, Duncan Pitaway's Beast of Turin. And there's some <laughs> logic in this. There is some logic in this. Bear with me. So uh, Duncan, who did some stuff with us on the, on the Bugatti, he's an he's a awesome chap. And he, like most of these classic cars, they go to shows in London. Yeah. You, they obviously go on a trailer. They get carefully taken up. Duncan takes the Beast of Turin, the Fiat, uh, with its 28-liter four-cylinder engine, engine with with pistons like dinner plates. He drove it there from like the West Country, from Bath, Bristol way, and uh, he's not, as he said, it didn't come with an exhaust on it. So essentially, you get these flames shooting out at head height um, wherever you drive it. And he drove it through central London to the Concours in. Um, yeah, middle of the city and he said yeah it was great it was no problem at all except the cyclists were looking pretty nervous when they overtook me <laughs> <laughs> yeah if this is this is a car that you often see you just look it up beast of turin uh you see it at goodwood and all these sorts of events and it's it's i mean it's just an absolute hilarious monster that just shoots mad flames the entire time i have a lot of time for people that drive something like that and then just literally go yeah I'll drive it there. And what? It's a car. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's so cool. And, and the fact he drives it through central London and it's just amazing. So yeah, that's my, I, 
one car forever to have that and also means you get an invite to goodwood every year so you too that's cool you get, you get an invite to, you just be invited to everything don't you with that everyone yeah. wants to see it right most undervalued car at the moment i've got a thing at the moment and i'm gonna be called weird for ferrari uh 308 gt4s okay okay yes. so 70s wedge so there's a lot of this going for this right 70s wedge pop-up headlights always awesome four seat practicality um it's you know it's a dino it's got a dino badge on the back of it which is kind of cool um they were used to be cheap as old chips um not so much anymore but i just i just love the way they look they've got this kind of bulldog stance um i'd mm-hmm. love to get one of those and just pimp it a bit you know just do the keep it looking the same but just underneath get some you know coilovers on there and mm. upgraded brakes nice modern rubber yeah it's a good looking car so wedgy so four seat it's a it's a kind of mid-engine four seat of v8 there aren't many of those around um, no i think there's uh, a lot of time for you know we're seeing resto mods sort of left right and center at the moment um for people to start doing those sorts of cars like 355 and stuff like that like but just make them drive well or you know better yeah tweak yeah, it no here and there no one's going to resto mod a, an f40 you know if you knew well, somebody had one of those well uh <laughs> some people are no seriously mm-hmm. can, you, can you say anything about it uh no but i will get them on when when i've spoken to someone that wants to do it i've spoken to a company that will do it but i don't know whether there's someone that wants to do it that's got the car to and is doing it but i believe it's going to happen if it, if it if i will talk to them and get them onto the podcast if and when it happens wow i think the okay. idea was is not messing with it too much is changing a bits and pieces here and there to make it better to live with and drive whilst not you know destroying the car so yeah. i think it would look the same just things that you can change you could probably put back okay and then you take the original parts and you put them in a safe exactly. in another safe yes in yes. another safe <laughs> hidden away somewhere yeah someone's just, just like steal your left seat for example and be like you know another one of those is 20 grand <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I had a friend who had a, uh, he had a convertible RS4. So there was a thing a convertible few years ago. Convertible RS4? Yeah, the, it was the one, oh, it's a couple of gens ago, it was the uh, naturally aspirated V8 one. And it was like the fastest hairdresser's car in the West. And he, um, oh, he came out one. This makes sense. I was thinking yeah. of an estate car. But obviously oh, no, no. they do it in the non-estate. Yeah, that makes I sense. I mean, that's a niche that someone has to do it one day, right? <laughs> yeah. But he, he, he came out and he one day saw his shadow across the top of his car. And he was like, that's weird. And then someone had knifed the top of the car and taken out the two front seats. What? He's like, why the hell has someone done that? So out they come and um, he phones up the insurance company and they're like, yeah, yeah, fine. And so and it's only like three, four, five years old. He said, yeah, insurance write-off. He said, I don't understand. It's insurance write-off. And it turns out that um, people were nicking the seats to put into like VW Golfs and an upgrade or yeah. whatever. Um, but Audi wouldn't sell the entire seats. So they only sell the components for the seats. And by the time you put all the components together for a seat, it was like 11 grand. Oh, wow. So it was an economic write-off 
this perfectly good like for five-year-olds that's are insane i i've heard i haven't actually heard much about this recently but uh, maybe like a year ago actually it must have been pre-pandemic people going to festivals and then coming back and having like headlights missing from their cars uh seats missing from golfs like all this sort of stuff just like stolen I, badges I, and things it's awful. I, it used to be a big thing on uh, 964 911s that the headlights got nicked. I had it done to mine. I came out one day and it's like my headlights in the streets in London just gone. I'm like, what kind of arsehole does that? And then you to find out they do it because the headlights are £600 each and they put the screws to un- un- detach them on the outside. Oh. So. Yeah, but oh, oh, just leave other people's stuff alone. But, yeah. Uh, whatever. But yes, it's, it's a bit like that one I've heard of people's Mercedes badges getting stolen. You know, the ones that are like stuck in the front and they literally oh, yeah. just like pop out. Um, if you don't know that already, I'm sure the people stealing them know that they just pop out, but then you buy another one and then they come back and steal the new one. Oh, I mean, <laughs> it's so frustrating. It's like, um, it's like VWs back in the eighties when they were just good. I'm showing my age now, but when they were kind of like beastie boys fans, where just everybody had a, had a golf bit of a golf yeah. hanging around their neck. So. <laughs> right, final question. Most interesting car to you right now? Ooh. So uh, there's some really interesting stuff going on. I think there's like um, Lotus Amira, Brewery mm-hmm. Aris, the, the Murray T50. I'd love to see the TVR come along. You know, the stuff that Radford are doing. I know Jensen Button's announced something in the next few weeks. That'll be yeah. interesting. I, I've I've not seen much about that. Is it T62 or something? Uh, yeah, it's, it's an like, old Lotus like, race car, I think. Yeah, and they, they say they I think they're putting the it on a chassis of an existing Lotus platform. Okay. But I don't know if that's a mirror or last gen stuff. But it sounds fascinating. Like I I I'm really interested to see what they come up with. Um and I think there's loads of cool stuff in Resto mods as well and and one I love actually is uh, Lunas uh, Engineering. Mm. They're doing like they're sticking the big motors and batteries in um, classic Bentleys and rollers and Range Rovers, and that's cool because those in, those cars, you know, you don't want any sound. So an electric motor and loads of torque is perfect for that. Um, but the, I think the one for me that I'm really fascinated is the Seat Minimo, what they come up with, which is slightly off the wall. I've not seen that. You have to Google that one. So they, the story is they announced this at the, like the 2019, yeah, 2019 Geneva Motor Show, the same yeah. time we announced ours. And it's like a one plus one. It's like a Renault Twizy. Looks very um, much like a Twizy. Yeah, it's in a sharp suit. It's a, it's a Twizy in a sharp suit. Yeah. But I think I'm really interested in like the mobility, low power, small electric vehicles living in London. It's kind of, I think there's something interesting there. I think we're going to see, also, well, we're, we're developing something ourselves, but we, we're going to see some really interesting stuff over the next few years. Because I think people don't, you, your electric car doesn't necessarily have to be a four box saloon, you know, and you, with half a ton of batteries yeah. because you don't use three of those seats most of the time. Um, and that's kind of, it's like any high end version of Mercedes BMW, they just put more horsepower in it. Whereas actually, I think a lot of customers might just want a luxury version, put yes. in a real fuel sipping engine just to cruise up the motorway and just stuff about 87 cows in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah and exactly. sound deadening. You know, just mostly sound editing and cows. And it just seems weird that the most expensive cars always have to be the high performance rather than... And the, the biggest. And the biggest, yeah. I, you don't want a big car. Cars are massive now. They are, um, they are. 
No, I think I agree. I think this is a really interesting space because I have an E208, which broke down yesterday. Sweet. Just uh, just electronic glitch wouldn't start. Great. But it's being fixed, so it'll be back on the road today. But that I use mainly for short-ish journeys. I do walk quite a bit, but like around town, five miles, whatever. And 90% of the time, there's no need for me to have any more than my space plus a bit of luggage, like a bag and whatever. And you're just lugging around like a thousand kilos too much. Yeah, that's it. it. It seems not fit for purpose. And like everybody's, I think the biggest, bigger, biggest electric cars are where the biggest margin is. So yeah. everyone's just like piling in, making another pickup truck or another big saloon or, or another SUV. I like, I'm sure there's something at the smaller end. And so that's, we're convinced that's the way. So we're, that's where we, as a company, we want to move into that space. And maybe the Tammy is the kind of first stage of that. Mm. But I think there is, there's a, there's an interesting, there's, there's an interesting space down there that no one's really done properly yet because the Twizy, it's okay, but it's, um, it's not the most fun to drive. Yeah. And it's a bit old now. Like it yeah. needs Mark too. They had this Minimo thing. It looks very like Twizy. That was quite good. Yeah, it's got it's got like going doors and stuff. I think it's just a really nice bit of design. Yeah, fun little thing, and it's like a motorbike that slightly hard to steal. <laughs> yeah, and it, it less hard to fall off. Exactly, exactly. Or more hard, more hard to fall off, more hard to fall off than a motorbike. Yeah, and you can put luggage and whatever and lock it and stuff like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll see some of these. And so, is this Minimo thing coming coming to town? Are they making it, or is it? Yeah. No, it was a concert, and they've, they've said it's coming out. I, I think it's uh, this year or next year, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely coming. It's definitely there coming. Was, yeah, what else was there? There was that, uh, was it a Citroen Mi? Oh, MI? yeah. The, uh, there's the AMI. No. AMI. The, the, it's got the door, it's got identical doors. Yeah, it's, it's like that. that. Yeah, that, because that's, yeah. that's brilliant. That's, uh, again, that's clever thinking. That's, that's doing something a bit different. Um, you know, like the smart car tried to do years ago, and uh, and yeah, the 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 Ami I think is a brilliant bit of design, just engineering out cost. It's a very cool little thing. Yeah, hilarious. Like, why do we need to design the front and back? We'll just design the front, and that can be the back. Let's <laughs> change the color of the lights. Job done. Yeah. <laughs> Good lateral thinking. No, it's cool. I I need to have a go in that. I'm gonna try and get a go in it somehow. I think we'll we'll get that. Cool. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. No, it's been great. That's good. It's great to have you on. And um, when you've got a, well, I would like to have going one of the cars with all of the juice at some point. I want to do some skids. Is it possible to do skids in these things? Oh yeah, we we've put hydraulic handbrakes on the uh, DB5 and the Ferrari for that. And also, if it's if it's wet, they're brilliant because they just drift, and you can. That's what I you, need to do. Come in the winter. Have, Oh, it's amazing. And the, the nice thing is you can have fun at 20 miles an hour, mm. whereas, you know, cars now, you, to put your foot down and have fun, you've got to be doing, like, license-losing speeds or yeah. taking risks on the road you want to take risks. But we, you know, ours, ours you can have fun on 20 miles an hour, and it's just brilliant. So come bring your helmet. I will. We'll go go, I will. For, a, go out for a drive. It reminds me a little bit of that, um, that Chris Harris video from ages and ages ago of a C63 on Space Savers. <laughs> It's just like, that's genius. Yeah, we'll 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 get some something a bit like that. We've got some ideas, something like that, so you can drift at five miles an hour. Yeah, but, uh, I'm keen. We'll, I'm keen. We'll share that with you. Cool. Well, thanks very much. Thank you.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.